Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to stream with us this morning. Wherever you're at, you're home. Let's worship together this morning. We lift our voices to a God who is worthy of our praise this morning. Come on, let's sing it out wherever you're at. We are a sea of voices. We are an ocean of your praise. Gathered under one name. We are a tide that's rising, and we cannot be contained. Gathered under one name. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the glories of our Lord, God Almighty. Oh, to sing the Savior's praise, the triumph of His grace. Sorrow swept away. Yes, thank you, Lord. We gathered unto one name. Oh, for a thousand tongues to say the glories of our Lord, God Almighty. Oh, to sing the Savior's praise, the triumph of His grace. You are worthy. You are worthy, God. One holy king, one highest throne, with all heaven saved, and all earth below. One holy king, one highest throne, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the glories of our Lord, God Almighty. Yes, you are worthy, God. Oh, for a thousand tongues to say the glories of our Lord, God Almighty. Oh, to sing the Savior's praise, the triumph of His grace. You are worthy. You are worthy, God. Yes, you are. You are worthy, God, of all the glory, of all the praise. We bless your name. Wheaton Bible Church, Tri-Village Campus, everyone joining us today, we are glad that you are with us. 
We want to set our eyes on Jesus. We want to lift his name, exalt him above all things, because he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our lives. And so we come to him today, and we encourage here one another. If you're watching with somebody there, encourage them to praise the Lord. And we are going to encourage you today. And so as we do this, uh, let's read from the book of Romans and let this, these words encourage your heart to set your eyes on Jesus in the midst of any circumstances today. It says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we already have, for what we yet do not have, we wait for it patiently. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to all these things, whatever we are going through? What shall we say? If God is with us, he is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, of trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither hides or depths, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The victory is yours. Oh Lord, help us fight the battles that come our way, not in our own strength. The battle is the Lord's. See, the weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord.
victory in the name of Jesus. We declare that today. We claim that as our own. He has invited us into that story. It's amazing. Thank you, Lord. And church, today we're talking about the power of the tongue. We opened our service with a song about when we are gathered and singing together, God is praised. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, we praise the name of the Lord. There is power in our words, in our songs. And so right now I wanna take a moment to declare what we believe together. Because there's power when we do that. There's power when we speak the words of the Apostles' Creed, when we speak the words that we believe. And when we do that, we, we begin to ingrain those truths on our heart. We will never forget what we believe. And so let's say this together, acknowledging that this is a very powerful moment in our worship service. 
These are the words of the Apostles' Creed. Would you join me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God, we declare this truth. We declare what we believe right now. God, and we thank you that we live in this victory, that we live in this gospel. Lord, as we continue to sing your praise, as we continue to worship you, as we continue to remember and recount the story that we are now a part of, God, may you be glorified in this time. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and please for me. My name is graven on his head. My name is written on his heart. Sun can bid me thence depart. No sun can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Yeah. 
Good morning, I'm Chad Lowe. I'm the associate pastor at our Tri-Village campus. If you're new to worshiping with us and getting to know us, we would love to get to know you as well. And you can do this simply by sending a text message. If you would just take a moment to text the word GIFT to 630-260-1600, we'd love to send you a gift and thank you for worshiping with us. But that's not all. We're also wanting you to help join us partner as we serve our local community. So along with your gift, we'll also send a one-time gift to a nonprofit in the area. So if you just text us, then you can let us know where you would like us to send that donation. When the pandemic started, our local outreach team quickly launched a Give Help, Get Help portal to help people in need be connected with those who were able to share what they had. And the help came in many forms. Some shared their time in vehicles to pick up groceries and prescriptions that others needed as they were homebound. Others shared their labors to restock shelves and uh, distribute groceries at a food pantry, even in the rain. And others shared their conversation by calling nursing home residents who were cut off from visitors. There are many, many ways that you have, as the church have stepped in and given generously. And we're blessed to have a local outreach team who's been able to quickly respond and adapt to the growing needs in our community and set up this portal. God is at work through your generosity. So if you're able, would you prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support the ministries of Wheaton Bible Church? You can do this easily by texting Wheaton Bible to 77977. You can also go to our website, wheatonbible.org give, or you can mail a check to our church offices. Thank you so much for partnering in ministry with us. And I'd like to invite Pastor Rob Boo over to pray over the offering. Chad, before we pray, this just happens to be your last Sunday yeah. with us. You have been on staff for the last seven years in student ministry and then the last couple of years at our Tri-Village campus where most recently you were the interim campus uh, pastor. You have done a phenomenal job in everything you have done here uh, while you've been on staff and I just want on behalf of everybody to tell you how much we love you and honor you and appreciate you. Thanks for a job well done. Thanks, Rob. Now, you are making some changes. You're rotating off staff. So tell us what's ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll be going to Wheaton College where I'll be full-time working, uh, actually getting my master's degree. So part of my, my role will be studying to get a master's in higher education and student development. And then I'll also be working as a graduate resident advisor where I'll be doing discipleship with undergraduate students and also working in the discipleship ministries, um, helping to disciple students on campus. So. And you're going from one full-time job to another. I understand yeah, based yeah. on what you've said, that's yeah. another full-time job. Yeah, it'll definitely be full-time So we want to be praying for you. And so tell us how we can be praying for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, actually, there's, there's three ways. First, if you pray for my family, we, we move on campus next week. And so we have a lot of packing and adjusting to do. Um, but also be praying for my family as we step into discipleship for undergraduate students. We also want to be committed to discipling our daughter, Piper. Uh, and so that's the first way you can pray. The second way is pray for fellowship. Pray that we would be able to be used to foster community among undergraduate students and the graduate students that we'll be working alongside, um, and that we also would grow in community as we're there. 
And then lastly, if you could pray for our future, as we step into this program, we want to be grown, we want to be stretched, um, but we also don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this. So be praying for what the Lord has in store for our future. So because I'm a pastor, alliteration, pray for my family and for fellowship in our future. That'd be great. And we will do that. Uh, again, thank you. Uh, and thanks to you and Jayla and now little uh, Piper. Yeah. We're uh, so excited about what God has in store. Uh, thanks, Rob. Thank you, Chad. Before I pray, I also want to give you an update on our reopening plans. We are launching our reopening on July 12th. That's two Sundays from today. And it's a modified reopening, as any of these reopenings are. And so I want to reiterate some of the details because they've changed a little since I mentioned this last Sunday. So now we know that we will not only be opening on July 12th our North Avenue campus, but also our Tri-Village campus on the same Sunday. Our service times here on our North Avenue campus will be 8.30 for traditional, 10.30 for contemporary, and 12.15 for our Spanish-speaking service. And our Tri-Village service will be at 10 a.m., not 10.30. We will be able to host 250 people per service here on our North Avenue campus. We will be able to host 75 people at our 10 o'clock Tri-Village worship service. We will require everyone to wear masks. That's an act of love. We don't want to cause in any way a resurgence or a little pocket of infection. So we want you to wear masks. Uh, we will uh, practice uh, disinfecting seats and things like that between services. There will be no children's ministry at any of our campuses. We look forward to that starting and over the next couple of months. And so I want you to know that what we have going forward for you are really three different options. One, you can continue in your home uh, to worship as many of you have been doing. The second is you can gather together as a small group, your life group, uh, another group of another sort. You can invite neighbors and, and friends to join you. And we want to encourage uh, you to do that to make this a small group experience. And then the third option will be effective on July 12th, and that is we can meet face to face. Now you will need to register ahead of time, and we will open those registrations on Wednesday July 1st. I want you to be praying. We're really excited. We're really looking forward to what God has in store for us, but we want to do it safely. We want to do it wisely. And let's pray to that end now. Would you bow with me? Father, we honor and exalt you because you are the great king. You are the creator king. We thank you that you have sent your son that in the context of your love for your son, which you share with others, you sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die on the cross in our place for our sins. You raised him from the dead. He is now at your right hand. He's coming again. 
And you have done all this, Father, for your glory as a revelation of your wisdom, but in order to rescue us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we might find life eternal. We might find forgiveness. And we might encounter this incredible privilege of being adopted as sons and daughters into your family. So, Father, we praise you this morning for Jesus. We thank you for the love that you have shown us in him. And, Father, we want to pray for Chad and Jayla Lowe and Little Piper as they make this transition from Wheaton Bible Church to Wheaton College. And we ask that you would go before them and bless them and use them in wonderful ways as they continue their discipling ministry. And we pray, Father, for our church's reopening. We want people to stay healthy. We want to be safe. We want to be wise, and yet we want to come together. And we want our coming together to be meaningful, to be worshipful. So as we bring all of this together now over the next couple weeks and launch on the 12th, would you guide us and direct us? Father, we want to pray uh, for our country. We want to pray for this COVID pandemic and ask that you would begin to move in such a wonderful way that the numbers and the deaths uh, go down. Would you protect people? Would you give our leaders wisdom and discernment? We pray for the racial tension and the racial issues, and we ask that you would guide our leaders, that you would guide us as followers of Jesus Christ, that we can be salt and light, and that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. So, Father, we come to you and praise you for the opportunity now to look into your word and ask that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. I was a sophomore in college and I was loving, man, was I loving life. One night I had a conversation with a freshman about the merits of joining our fraternity. Uh, when he said to me, I don't know, Rob, I got to go home over Christmas and see what the Lord wants me to do. Now, Gary wasn't being pushy. He was being honest, direct, and taking a risk. I didn't know it at the time, but Gary had been praying for me, praying that God would open my arrogant and self-centered eyes. And I would see that the fullness of life is found in Jesus, not in a fraternity. But when Gary said, see what the Lord wants me to do, it was like the heavens parted. Because no one up to that point in my life had ever talked about God in such personal terms. See what the Lord wants me to do. And so I spent the next two hours asking Gary to explain what he meant. Five months later, I came to Jesus Christ. Before that, Gary joined our fraternity. And when we both graduated from college, we went to seminary together. I am here today because of eight words. See what the Lord wants me to do. Eight words changed my life forever. Never, never underestimate the power of words. 
in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, or covet. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He is not here. He has risen. For by grace you are saved through faith. And we know, we know, we know that God works all things together for good. Who can comprehend the impact of these words on human history? Words are of immense importance to God. Genesis 1 tells us it was with words that God created the entirety of the heavens and the earth. John 1 tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, is the Word, the revelation of the Father. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus rebukes Satan, saying, no one can live on bread alone. But the opportunity for us is to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now you and I know how important words are, uh, short words, short sentences. Words like, I love you. You're my best friend. I know great things are going to happen. Or I'm so sorry I blew it. Would you please forgive me? Uh, these are wonderful words. But other words like I hate you, you're a loser, you're stupid, you're never going to amount to anything, you're no longer my friend. Man, does the hurt run deep. So I want to say to you, whether you're a, a child, a kid, a student tuning in, or you're an adult this morning, your words are so very important to your life. So very important. And not surprisingly, Proverbs, which is a book all about wisdom, and we're in a series on Proverbs right now. We're on this series on living wisely. Proverbs has a, a whole lot to say about what we say. As a matter of fact, next to the subject of wisdom itself, Proverbs says more about our words than any other single subject. God has given you the book of Proverbs so your words can change people's lives just like Gary's words changed mine. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to begin by talking about what Proverbs has to say about the power of our words. I'm going to cite two powers. There are more, but we're going to focus on these two. And here's the first. According to the book of Proverbs, our words have the power of life and death. 
So for example, we read in Proverbs 18, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He says, will you marry me? She says, yes, of course. And three children are the fruit of those words. And year after year, the words, the parents, those two parents speak into the lives of those three children have extraordinary influence on their lives. Physically, you can eat whatever you want. Uh, emotionally, if only you were as good as your sister. And spiritually, uh, we don't need to go to church. Church is full of hypocrites. In addition, we're just so busy right now. Your words have the power of life and death. And parents, I want to say to you, and I want to talk to you as parents for a few moments now. Um, one of the primary reasons our kids leave the faith is because of our words. Because instead of pointing our kids to the wonder of a bleeding and dying Savior and the power that new life in him offers us, we spend most of our words teaching our kids to be good. Don't do this, do this. Or to achieve. You better get after this if you want to get ahead. You better focus on this. And what we're doing with our words, and often unintentionally, is we're reducing Christianity to moralism. In her excellent book, Give Them Grace, author Elise Fitzpatrick asks, when your six-year-old son is clobbering his little brother and you yank him off and he says to you, I hate him, what do you say? Well, moralism says we don't talk like that in our family. We must love each other. Now go to your room. But grace-centered, gospel-centered parenting is different. Uh, we say, yeah, you know, it's true that we can't love each other. You can't love your little brother on your own. That's because we're sinners. And that's exactly why Christ went to the cross. Because mommy and daddy are sinners just like you are a sinner. And God sent Jesus as our rescuer so that when we believe in him and continue to look to him, then we find the power to forgive others because we know that Jesus has forgiven us. And so we point our kids to the gospel. You see, gospel-centered parenting, which is words of life in the language of verse 21 here, emphasizes over and over to our, our kids that they are both sinful and yet at the same time deeply loved by Jesus and that forever. 
In other words, on the one hand, they are unable because of their sin. On the other hand, because of Jesus, they are more than able. And we over and over point them to the centrality of this bleeding and dying Savior who loves us so much that he sacrificed his life. So that we help them begin to focus not on what they must do in order to please God, but what Jesus has already done. But if all you do is focus on your kid's performance, if all you do is focus on their behavior, then your kids, and look at the last verse or word in the verse, then your kids will eat the fruit of moralism. So look at another verse. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Now notice the metaphor. Your words are a fountain of life. Jesus, who has come to bring us life, and that abundantly is the fountain of life. So by our words, because they have the power of life and death, we point people to Jesus. Now let's go on. There's a second power that our words have according to the book of Proverbs. And that is, as you can see, the power to heal and destroy. So we read in chapter 12, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I love this notion of bringing healing. So whether you're seven years old or you're 77, you have a friend in your life who looks good on the outside, but on the inside is riddled with anxiety, is wrestling with feelings of, uh, of depression. Or there, there's uh, another friend who is facing a major temptation and is uh, prone to that temptation uh, because they're going through a period of doubts. Or there's a, somebody else in your life that is grieving. They're experiencing a loss, a rejection, a, a breakdown in a relationship. And you may know that or you may not know any of these. But your words may be the very thing God wants to use to bring healing. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, look at verse 18 as a promise, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, let me back up and put this in context. You, you see, this is true because each and every one of us are born with a word hunger. We hunger for words. That's because we've been created in the image of a triune God who has been speaking throughout eternity, speaking words of love, perfect words, wise words, appropriate words, words that are full of grace. So because we've been created in God's image, we have been wired, we have been born with this word hunger. We hunger for words that are loving accepting, perfect, and holy, and fulfilling. Now let me say the same thing a little differently. 
One of the primary ways that we as humans establish our identities over time is by, the, by other people validating us by their words. And how important is it that our words be healing words? Oh, you're going to get through this? Or man, have you thought about the ability you have in this area? I think you have a lot of talent. Or way to go, buddy. This is so cool. I can't wait to see you do it again. Our youngest grandkids send Rhonda and me uh, cards. Just got a couple for Father's Day. And because they're so little, all they can do is scribble. So these cards are nothing but scribbling. But we make it sound like it's the second coming of the Mona Lisa. Because that's what grandparents do, right? But do you see? All of us, all of us are scribblers in the eyes of God. On the one hand, we have pockets of strength. On the other hand, we have major pockets of, of weakness. We have fragile e egos. We long for acceptance, uh, uh, love. Uh, millions and millions of people in the United States, in the U.S. right now, because of the pandemic and because of other things, are, are, are being rocked and full with, uh, of anxiety. Do you realize God has appointed you to tell people their scribbling is beautiful? The tongue of the wise brings healing. That even though they feel like their life doesn't make sense, that God is going to make sense out of it. That their lives make sense regardless of how they feel. That they have been given gifts and abilities. Uh, that in Jesus Christ they find acceptance and love and, and God will never let them go. Because as I said a few moments ago, God promises us he's working all things together for good. All things, not a few things, all things. So here in chapter 12, we see the power of healing words. Now let me go on. Because I want to ask the question, what are the traits of life-giving, healing-giving words, according to the book of Proverbs? I can mention 40 traits, but I'm going to limit myself uh, to just a few, uh, four and to be specific. And here's the first. According to the book of Proverbs, life-giving, healing-giving Words are honest, not dishonest. So we see, for example, in Proverbs chapter 12, the Lord detests lying gifts, lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Now this, that, that verb there, detests, is actually one of the strongest words in the Bible to describe God's response to human sin. God detests lying in any form. Twisting the truth, hiding the truth, exaggerating the truth, and more. Now, now why is this? Because a lie, lies are so destructive in that they destroy relationships because healthy relationships 
are, are based on a common and shared understanding of reality. So when you lie, you distort that common understanding. And when you lie, you destroy the very thing you need most, and that is healthy relationships. Let me show you another verse related. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue, a lying tongue, crushes the spirit. Strong language, a strong word crushes. When you lie, you not only crush the spirit of someone else, but you crush your own spirit. Now, how is that? Well, it's that way because our words express our thoughts. And the more we lie, the more we repeat to lie, the more we begin to think unconsciously that the lie is really the truth and we begin to lose touch with reality. So when the woman discovers that her husband has been having an affair for years, her spirit is crushed. But so is his. A perverse tongue crushes the spirit. It destroys relationships. Second, Wise words, life-giving, healing-giving words are gentle, not harsh. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I want to invite you, I want to plead with you to memorize this verse. And say you're coming home from work and it's been a terrible day at work and everything's gone wrong and there's been all sorts of conflict and you are, your mind is just fried. And you're on the Eisenhower, and as you're driving home, I just want to encourage you to talk to yourself about this verse over and over. So as you pull into your driveway, you pull into your parking lot, you're prepared to respond, even though your day's been awful, with gentleness and not take your anger out on another person by speaking harshly. I've been married twice, as you know. And I would say uh, my inability to speak gently in, in the face of uh, a conflict or in the face of disagreement or uh, a misunderstanding has been one of my biggest failures in both of my marriages. You'd think I'd learn, but that's another story. Part of it for me is that I was raised by a mother, a single parent woman that was very direct, very outspoken in, in a good way, but at times she could really be harsh. And so I, I just breathed that oxygen and I have become a person who is direct and direct to the point of being harsh, especially with the people I'm closest to, like my wife. But Proverbs 15.1 tells me, Rob, don't be like your mother in this area. Be like Jesus. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word only defeats what you're trying to accomplish. It defeats you. It crushes you. It crushes the person you're speaking to because it stirs up anger. And I've got a ways to go, but I am thankful for the progress I've made because... 
Proverbs 15.1 has become a good friend in my life. And Jesus is using this single verse to disciple me. And I wonder, are your words gentle? Or when you're in the midst of a, a difficulty, do you go harsh? May God give you the grace to change and to grow just as he uses his words in our life. So now let me take this a step further. Let me stay with gentleness for a moment, gentle words, and ask the question, um, what do gentle words look like? I want to show you three verses. First of all, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So gentle words are gracious words. They're positive words. They're words that are sweet to the soul of another. They make people smile. They make people feel encouraged, feel loved. When we speak these kind of gracious words, we often hear, thank you for saying that. That really helps me. That means a lot to me. Gentle words are gracious words. That we have in Proverbs 18, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Hear me. Gentle words don't interrupt. You listen. You let the other person, you dignify the other person when you let them complete what they want to say. You don't stop listening because you're planning your response or your retort. Rather, you listen. Gentle words don't interrupt others. And then finally, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Gentle words are patient words. They are calming words. I mean, look at the verse. If patient words can change the course of a country, think how your patient, calm words can impact the person you're speaking to, the person that needs a healing, life-giving word from you. So let's go on now. Let's look at the third characteristic of life-giving and healing words, uh, the third trait, and it's this. These are words are spiritual, not superficial. I should say spiritual, not merely superficial. I mean, I love talking about a lot of different things. And we all do. For, uh, you know, everything from right now, the, the Cubs and to COVID. And that's just the way God has wired us. And that's how we begin conversations often. But honestly, I can only handle superficial conversations for so long. Because I want substance. I want spiritual substance. I, I want to know how you're doing spiritually. I want to know how you're experiencing Jesus or not experiencing Jesus. Now our problem in this area is that while we speak, each and every one of us speak 15 to 18,000 words a day, too often, way too often, few of those words are vulnerable, transparent, spiritual, or Jesus words. We tend to stay superficial. That's especially true with non-Christians. So look at chapter 11. 
The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. I want you to take this verse to heart uh, when it comes to your classmates, your co-workers, your, your, your neighbors. Because saves at near the end of verse 30 is a strong word. It means to capture, to capture back from death, uh, to redeem. And the verse is saying it's your spiritual words. It's your stories about what Jesus is doing in your life. It's as you share portions of the gospel or the gospel in its entirety that points your friend to Christ. It's exactly what Gary's words did to me. Those eight words God used to begin the process of saving me. Finally, the fourth. Wise words are humble, not proud. Look at verse 2 in chapter 27. Oops. Let someone else praise you and not, not, not your own mouth. An outsider and not your own lips. Let someone else praise you. You know, according to Proverbs, uh, we have a word problem because we have a heart problem. And Proverbs tells us the way we overcome our heart problem is by continually living a life of fearing the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means that we live in a joyful, joyful awe. A joyful reverence and respect and worship of our living God. Uh, fearing the Lord means we delight in Jesus because of his love. It means we trust Jesus because of his faithfulness. It means we obey Jesus because of his authority, cosmic authority in our lives. Uh, after all, as the New Testament tells us, wisdom is Jesus. And it's our words, our Jesus words, that makes such a huge difference in the lives of other people. And so let me press this. Because the New Testament tells us wisdom is found in Jesus, and so wise words are found in Jesus, as I've been saying lately, this means you know at the core of your being that Jesus is unexpectedly kind. That his compassions never fail. That his mercies are new every morning. That he has your back. And these issues, these problems, these frustrations, um, the pain in your life is never an interruption of Jesus' plan. It's always part of his plan because his plan is to grow you and to mold you, to make you more like him. Now, pride forgets what I just said. It forgets that Jesus is unexpectedly kind. It forgets that it's his mercies that are new every morning, his compassions that never fail, that he's working all things together for good. And so instead of being Jesus-centered, we're self-centered. And instead of our words being gospel-centered, uh, we're just busy praising ourselves. 
And in uh, the words of chapter verse 2, we end up not being able to praise God or praise other people because we're so focused on ourselves. The arrows of our life have turned inward. So we play to the grandstands. We desperately want approval. Uh, we love being the center of attention. We complain when we don't get, get our way. And we put other people down. You and I have a mouth problem because we have a heart problem. Now let me finish. And the only thing we'll, that will stop servants from trying to live as if they are masters, and I mean the master of the universe, which we try to do because of our sin, is when we take our eyes off ourselves and we see that there is one master, Jesus Christ, who became a servant in order to rescue. He became your servant, my servant, in order to rescue us from our sin. And so he died that horrible death on the cross. So that the moment we believe and to the extent we continue to look to Jesus throughout our lives as we walk with Jesus, uh, we find acceptance and love and hope and joy and the things that we all desperately long for. Jesus Christ became a servant to rescue you. So today I want to invite you to come to Jesus because in humility he has come to you. And so if you've never done so, I want to invite you to trust Jesus, to put the full weight of your eternal destiny down on his shoulders and to believe in him and to say yes to him. Because no one loves you like Jesus. That's why he died for you. And if you're watching and you have already done that, then I want to encourage you to press into Jesus, to cling to his love. Because it's Jesus that enables us to live, chapter 27 and verse 2. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your perfect words, for this opportunity to use words, to talk about words. And we thank you, Father, for what you have done for us in Jesus, the word of God. And we ask that you would fill us with the wonder of a life-giving Savior, a rescuing Savior, a forgiving Savior, the one who has come, that as his servants, we might find life. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Let's respond together to the words that we just heard is we acknowledge that without the wisdom of our God, without the strength of our God, we are lost. So let's cry out to him. Let's seek him with all of our hearts. We look to him. Jesus, be our wisdom. We sing this out. God, I look to you. 
God, I look to you and I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you and you're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. your prayer we sing God I look to you and I won't be overwhelmed give me vision to see things like you do God I look to you and you're where my help comes from we say give me wisdom you know just what to do we will love you, Lord. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will love you, Lord, my shield. Yes, I will love you, Lord, my rock forever. Oh! 
And that is our prayer. That in knowing Jesus' love and Jesus' power, we would take this extraordinary gift. You have been given this extraordinary gift, this extraordinary power, a God-like power. It's the power of your words. And may God in his grace enable you to take that power and give life and bring healing. May God bless you to that end. If you want prayer, if there's something going on in your life, if you're in your life, if you're facing a crisis, we pray as a staff every Tuesday. We will pray for you throughout the week and text prayer to 630-260-1600. We want to stand with you as you face whatever life is throwing at you. And life has been throwing a lot at us lately. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, and may he, by the power of the Spirit, point you to the wonder of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. So Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. May God give you favor. Thanks for worshiping with us. Now watch the announcements that follow. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm Mike and I serve with our adult communities team. As Pastor Rob shared last week, we're excited to start gradually meeting on campus again. On Wednesday, registration will open for our July 12th and 19th service. If you're worshiping with us on campus, you must reserve a seat as our capacity is limited to help with social distancing. We hope to see you there. And we want you to know that our online services will continue to be available to watch at home or with your life group. Kids and students, we hope you've been having fun with the Essential Neighbors projects. This week's project for your family is hosting an ice cream social. And we think you'll have a lot of fun with it and serving your neighbors with a really cool treat. To get the Essential Neighbors guide with all of the details, head over to the Kids Life page on our website. Last, I want to leave you with an update from our Senior Pastor Search Committee. The team is making progress meeting with many of you and has plans to continue to meet with more and more in the coming weeks. Take a listen to some of their prayers for this process. My name is Charity Lane and I'm a part of the Front Door Ministry team. As a pastor's daughter, my hope and prayer is that God blesses us with a shepherd who is wonderfully gifted to lead us and his family in the ways of the Lord. Hi, my name's Lois Lenane from the Tri-Village Campus. My hope is for a senior pastor who deeply loves Tri-Village, a humble man of prayer who has a passion to see people come to a genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ. My name is Jeff Weston and I've served as an elder here at Wheaton Bible Church. I'm praying that we find a pastor who's deeply committed to the strong biblical teaching that we've come to know and who can effectively communicate the gospel in a way that draws many people to Jesus Christ. My name is Ann Garnett, and I am a volunteer leader with Women's Ministry and Global Missions. My hope is that Wheaton Bible Church as a whole, and each of us as individuals, will clearly see more and more of God's goodness and faithfulness to us throughout this journey of selecting our new senior pastor. 
My name is Adam Mitchell. I currently lead a small group, serve in the children's ministry, and am active in our faith and work ministry. My hope is for a senior pastor who will lead our congregation to integrate the gospel into every aspect of our lives, and that our church would be unified in this search process. I'm Gary Dossey. I am a retired pastor here from Wheaton Bible Church. God has so richly blessed this church over the past 25 years through the powerful and enriching ministry of Pastor Rob. And now we're earnestly praying for God's clear direction in his selection for the new senior pastor who will lead this church in the years to come.